Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host, I'm David Almeida, and I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida. Every week, I sit down with an actor or artist friend, and we watch an episode of the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Then I hit record, we talk about the show, and anything and everything else it might inspire us to discuss. This week, my guest is Ken Reed. He's back. You will recall he was here for the Fear Strikes Back episode back at the beginning of Season 3. And now, here we are at the end of Season 4. My God, how time flies. But Ken, you will recall, is a Boston-based stand-up comic, and he is the host of the most excellent podcast, TV Guidance Counselor, which really, if you listen to this show, you really should be listening to that show too. It's really, really awesome. Before we start, I need to give a shout-out to my new Patreon patron, Jennifer R. Jen is actually a friend of mine. Jen, Jen and I have been friends for many, many years, and uh, if you follow the Facebook page, she leaves her thoughts and comments every week, and I love them. Thank you so much, Jen, for signing up on the Patreon. If you wish to become a Tutti Fruity patron of the show, you can support me for as little as $1 a month. Just click the link in the show notes to the Patreon page. What better way to spend your money in the midst of a global pandemic as we watch our economy collapse and unemployment rates skyrocket back into double digits. Anyway, back to this week's show. Ken and I watched Season 4, Episode 22, Take My Finals, Please, and the original air date was April 27th of 1983. Think we're ready to jump on in? Let's face the facts with Ken Reed. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from Quarantine Heights, Massachusetts, connecting directly with me via Skype here in Quarantine Park, Florida, it's Ken Reed. What's up? What's up, kid? Hey, hey. Good How's to it going? talk to you again, buddy. It was well. How, how are you holding up in all the, the corona crazy? Uh, I mean, I've spent my lifetime sort of practicing social distancing, and I essentially live <laughs> in a video toy comic uh, record store, so it's been okay. Okay, and with with those materials, those are in many cases uh, a primer for the future apocalyptic nightmare that awaits us all. Yes. So I, I think you are probably far better prepared than I. Yeah, I mean, uh, weirdly, I I was in LA for two or three weeks before, mm-hmm. like while, while this started, yeah. and uh, I got back and I realized that I had ordered like eight rolls, of, eight like cases of toilet paper just because ah. I found a good deal like two months ago <laughs> before this even started. So they were just like waiting for me, and I was like, wow, I didn't even didn't wow. even. Find- well, cool. I may be up to borrow some if I run out. That's fine. I'll roll it down there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got at the moment I'm set and uh, let's may may it remain thus for for both of us. Yes. Anyhow, uh, we have watched. Did you did you get to watch the episode before oh, we record it? Of course. Um, and you had seen it many times before, as as had I, I'm sure. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. This was sort of. Oh. When I when I really started to get invested in the show as it transitioned from that super seventies show yes. into the into the 80s show I truly loved. Yes. And uh this is one of my all-time favorites, and I think it might be my all all-time favorite. Wow. So when you when you pointed and uh singled this one out as one you were interested in doing, I was like, ooh, it's exciting. <laughs> Ken and I are talking about season four, episode twenty-two called Take My Finals, Please. You see what they did there? It's like yeah. the Take My Wife, Please joke, but it's about taking my finals. It's almost Thank as you. if Natalie wrote the ep- the episode title. I know. <laughs> Natalie is... Uh, well, we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, the original... Let me get, get a little business out of the way here. Uh, the original air date was April 27th, 1983, the previous two weeks were repeats, so this is the first new episode we've had since uh, since the beginning of April 83. Uh, it was actually taped in mid-March of 83, March 15th, 
and was directed by Asad Kalada, who directed every episode in season four and will continue to direct many. Written by Deidre Fay and Stuart Wolpert. I had erroneously in previous episodes said that they had worked for Susan Harris and it had been on Soap and Benson. And uh, I was wrong. I don't know what I was thinking. I think I'm thinking of Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon, ah. who had worked on those shows. And they go as back as like the Carol Burnett show and even even the Mary Tyler Moore show. But they're the creators of this. The writers, Deidre Fay and Stuart Wolpert, um, in starting in season three, so the previous season, they have so many different credits as far as they're sometimes story editors. They're sometimes creative consultants, sometimes executive script consultants. <laughs> and then next uh, season, they are executive producers for a good year or two. And they write, uh, I think they have 17 actual written by credits for The Facts of Life. And their only other credits really is One Day at a Time. And huh. I think the random show in 1994. So uh, clearly they made their money on the facts of life on that executive producer salary and hopefully retired in pearls and ermine. I mean, I imagine you could with the rerun money, but that would still be kind of an amazing feat of them to be able to do that. It's weird. So you wonder, and again, this is going by IMDb. Oh, hey, is that Petey? That is Pete. It's Pete. Hey there, Pete. We, on on Ken's podcast, Pete is a frequent collaborator of Ken's. Yes, there is a, a food delivery happening, so they uh, are losing their minds. And what's the other one's name? I forget. Uh, it's Pete, Ted, and Larry. Pete, Ted, and Larry. There were three. God, I was just three. Wow. Yeah, no, was three. Three eighty pounders. Oh my God. God bless you. So I just want to go on record saying I was wrong. That Stuart Wolpert and Deidre Fay are not uh, Susan Harris writers. This is, for the most part, The Facts of Life is kind of the biggest thing they did. How made up of a name does Deidre Fay sound? Deidre, well, Stuart Wolpert, even. They, they do sound like fictional. Yeah. Very odd names. I'm, I'm glad they found each other as writing partners because they're well matched. Yeah. And I wonder if they're still alive. Maybe I'll try to hunt them down. Oh my God, you got to do it. You got to yeah. get on your show. Yes. Get on. Yes. So before we begin the in-depth, uh, deep analysis, Ken, you know, I always like to start the show asking my guest to give me a one to two sentence synopsis of the show, similar to what you might see in a TV guide listing. Yes. Uh, uh, the girls pull an all nighter on the eve before finals. Beautiful. That is uh Am oh, amendment amendment yeah. the girls attempt to pull an all night ah yes beautiful yes because hilarity and chaos ensues it's true uh, so i have i have specific thoughts about this but before we go on uh, just specifically are there any other specific reasons why this is one of your favorite episodes uh, yeah, I mean, and oddly, it's kind of uh, weirdly appropriate with the current quarantine status. I, I'm a sucker for a bottle episode. Mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for anything that takes place in one evening. Yes. So the, the time span of it all happening in one night and it's a bottle episode uh, is kind of amazing. And you do get the most sort of pure character interactions because there's yes. no, there's no real craziness or sort of plot conceits. It's, it's mm -hmm. sort of just dialogue. It's, it's sort of an unusual episode. It, absolutely. And I, I echo all of that. And for me, I'll take it one step further because a bottle episode, a single set that makes it like a play that instantaneously resonates with my theatrical, my being a, a stage actor. Right. And all that. So I look at this and I'm like, this is one of the first times the show, even though all sitcoms of the era were really filmed theater. This was where it really felt like a play. Like if you were going to do a real life facts of life which many many drag performers have done yes. this is one of the episodes you really ought to do it's the closest uh that facts of life ever got to being a barney miller show oh yeah or i'll i'll take it even further it's the closest it ever got to being a seinfeld yes because that... it is a show about nothing or not nothing but it's about one specific but everyday thing that everybody has dealt with 
Yes. And I actually uh, made a note of that myself because there is some of the discussion they have are very Seinfeldian. Like when uh, Tootie is looking at the book and she's looking at who had the book previously and it's like, Oh, I wonder what this person's like. Did they have it? There's just, uh, and then, and then Joe talks about the way Eastland pillows smell. Like it's very, it's (laughs) very, yeah. Very Seinfeld. Yeah. And uh, I've talked many times about how this show existed up to its final episodes in 1988 This still is of the old school sitcom where there is one story per episode with very few rare exceptions. And in fact, just uh, over the past two to three weeks, we have had two instances. We had one where there was kind of an A story and a B story. And we even had a very weird anomaly of an A, B and a C story. In, that's like an episode of Friends. So this season, that, that, that these have all happened in season four. This is so forward thinking. It's like you wonder if somebody in the Seinfeld writers room was like, God, remember that episode where they all it, nothing happened? They were just staying up at night studying. That's it. It's a very stand up comedian as TV writer, which would make sense for Seinfeld, but mm-hmm. um, which would become sort of the prominent. 19, late 1980s into the 90s yeah, the sort of format. Yeah. yeah, but is uh, is very unusual for this show. And especially to the best of my knowledge, I don't think anyone who wrote for this show was a stand-up, and especially not the two people. Oh, no, no, we, no, no. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's very weird. Exactly. And when you realize that just a few weeks ago, we had an episode, a two-parter, where Joe decides she wants to become a nun like <laughs> yep. and, and based upon Lisa Welchel on Blair's uh, stepsister played by Eve Plum Jan Brady it's like and that was a two-parter and when you look at how this episode does not rely on any sort of a stunt like that versus how labored it was and the fact that they needed a two-parter to get us from point A to point B, where we might halfway believe Joe is seriously thinking she wants to be a nun. Uh, it's, it's astounding. So that's one it's, of, it, it's interesting when I, when I had Tim O'Donnell on the show who didn't write for facts of life, but wrote for everything else. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that two parters generally weren't planned as two parters. Ah, so oftentimes they would write, and then sometimes the script would just be bigger than usual. And they couldn't edit a ton out of it. So they would, uh, it would save money essentially by making it a two parter. So you save some production costs. Um, but I'm wondering if this season they spent a lot of their money on the Paris movie and they were cutting some corners because there's a few two-parters this season and a bottle episode would obviously save some money. Um, so I'm wondering if that was sort of the genesis of some of the stuff this season. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. The the good thing is that they do clearly it's there's a point in the middle of the season where the writers did suddenly and collectively go, oh, shit, Blair and Joe need to graduate this year and we need <laughs> right. to start laying the foundation and the groundwork for that. So thank God they did. And I think successfully so. And hopefully somebody in the said, oh, my God, staying up, na- uh, up at night studying for their finals, their, their final finals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those great episodes, too, where they sometimes they forget to remind you that there's an age difference between Joe and Blair and, yeah. and Natalie and Tootie. And in this one, it um, it's pretty prominent because they're talking mm-hmm. about how they're graduating and they don't have to worry. You know, it it's uh, it's a little dynamic that they don't play with enough um, and as yeah. often as they should. Yes. Relating to that. Everything in this episode is character driven. It is so about the characters and gloriously so. They're not relying on a stunt like Joe thinking she wants to be a nun or earlier in the season. Tootie thinks she might be losing her hearing. Right. And and those episodes are just painful when you realize this is why we love the show. We love the characters. This is why the show still 40 years later, we are talking about it right now, why it still resonates and uh, stands up and holds up. And this is probably Natalie's strongest episode up to this point, I think. Can you read my mind? I was going to say, and the only other thing on my list is that um, 
just watching it again, because I hadn't seen it in a few years, but watching it again and taking notes, Natalie is on fucking fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. She is freaking amazing in this. Yeah, her comedic oh. timing is fantastic. It's very natural. And she was the the non-actor out of the group. Exactly. Uh, it's it's so such a beautiful transformation to see how she can dominate this episode. And with it still not being a Natalie episode, it's an all of them episode. Right. And I wonder if they just started sort of getting her voice better by this point because they had tried to do some Natalie centric episodes previously, as we, as we, as we know, mm-hmm. the infamous, uh, the, uh, costume party episode, yes, or, the, the you know, almost right. <laughs> yes. Or the ones with like her dad, when her dad was getting a divorce, which I think was the season before maybe. Um, and, and she just don't try to write the dramatic stuff for her. Like it doesn't, it's not right. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and I didn't think she did a bad job with it, but it's, no, no. it's this, this is where the character is strongest. And as I always joke about the middle-aged vaudevillian writers who have that somewhat Borscht Belt rhythm and sensibility, she is so good at it. She has such oh, yeah. an affinity for that. And they use it to, I think this is kind of, this episode, her entire career was leading up to this. Yeah, I agree. She is just, Mindy Cohn is insanely good in this okay i we could gush another hour about this episode in the in and honestly i don't mind that that we're talking about it in generalities because as i do my microscopic analysis of it scene by scene like i said there's not really a plot here i'm i'm looking at this going i don't want to just sit here and restate all the jokes though god knows i've done that before on the show but um let's let's start getting into it as best i am able to edit myself here uh first thing first frame of the show something new we get titles titles that tell us what time it is yes and the show has never done titles at the top of a show uh i don't believe ever in its history so this is a a new thing completely effective because we need to know what time it is and i'd rather they just do that than turn and say well gee it's 10 15 right now right yeah, so it adds I, to the atmosphere of the show. It sort of sets the tone right away. Yeah. No, I love it. It's fantastic. So uh, they all come in, and they've clearly, they're, they're getting ready and hunkering down for something. And this is where Joe is mad at Blair because Blair lost a textbook of hers. And uh, they've got a coffee maker, a, a Mr. Coffee. Remember when those were new? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, you I forget you're you're a you know more than a decade younger than I am, but I remember when Mr. Coffee was this new thing of you can brew coffee in your house without like a percolator. It was like right. what? Well, also it's weird that um kids drank coffee. Like that was odd at the time. It was kind yeah. of like, it's almost a joke that they are so serious about this. They have a coffee machine. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I do remember some of my friends in high school drinking coffee. But it was a little weird. And they were, honestly, they were more the kids like you that had sort of just been abandoned and left to their own devices. (laughs) Right. And so they were doing more adult things earlier. But yeah, the whole, this whole um, tween and teenage Starbucks culture was, was definitely not a thing back in the 80s when I was in high school. But um, we have a wardrobe check. Blair is in her typical Dorothy Michaels A-line skirt, boots, a plaid print blouse. She looks fine. Joe is in matching light blue sweatshirt and sweatpants. Yes, that was I was I I commented when I was watching it about the the matchy matchy of that outfit. It's uh, it's very gym class. Yeah, absolutely. Without being the Eastland uniform that they would wear. Yeah. In gym class. Tootie is wearing a plain light purple sweatshirt and blue jeans. And Natalie is wearing this amazing mint green sweatshirt and jeans. But the sweatshirt has got paint splatters all over it. Oh, it's incredibly 80s squiggles. It is 80s-tastic. Yeah, I mean, this episode is really, you do see that shift from the 70s aesthetic to the 80s aesthetic, mostly on Natalie. And then Natalie and Tootie's bunk bed. Yeah, is painted like bright purple, purple. with like orange yeah. sheets, um, and it's uh, and pink, and it's got it's got the real it, it, it's 1984 ish, even yeah. though we're only in 83. 
Yeah. No, no. It's definitely it's been slowly creeping in. And then we've got a couple of seasons coming up at Edna's Edibles, which has such traditional 80s wood pattern, holly hobby decor. Yeah. Rattan. Yeah, exactly. But then season seven, eight and nine, it goes so 80s overboard with over our heads and the neon and the hair height and the mullets. Oh, I love oh. it. <laughs> I can't I love wait. it. I cannot wait to analyze all that. And that's a little ways down the road right now, though. But um, very quickly, we're reminded that Blair and Joe aren't just cramming for any year's finals. These are their final finals because they are headed to college. So they have got to do well. Did you ever do do all-nighters like this? I I never found it to be a helpful technique. I did it once in college where I did an all-nighter for a paper that I had due. And the class was early in the morning. I went to the class. I had the paper done. It was good. I handed it in. I was so proud of myself. And then we had to begin the lecture. And I couldn't keep my eyes open. I was dying. It was torture. So I very quickly went, okay, this is not a thing for me. And I didn't drink coffee at the time. That probably would have helped. But... Yeah, one time in, I dabbled in college, as many people say, and <laughs> no, the answer was a no. And I'm still not really a night owl. I tend to go to bed early and get up early. How about yourself? I mean, I am, and I definitely was then a night owl, but it doesn't seem, like as far as studying goes, it just seemed like counterproductive. Kids would pull it all the time, yeah. and I'm like, why just go to bed, you'll, you'll do better. What are you doing? Yeah, at least have rest on your side, if nothing else. Right. And um, Which and is yes, Mrs. Garrett's point, kind I of. I was just going to say, this is perfect, because uh, Natalie does start in with the food. Remember, we never have fat jokes about Natalie, which is right. commendable. But boy, she is always right on board when any time there's ever food talk. Yes. So Natalie breaks out the Oreos and milk, and uh, perfectly cued by you, thank you, Mrs. Garrett enters. And she brings a feast on a gigantic serving platter. But this is more practical food. We've got fruits and veggies and sandwiches and crackers. And And, and oddly, an entire stack of carrots. Not baby carrots. Yeah. Full on Bugs Bunny. It's like a bushel of carrots. Yeah. Not even peeled. Like, it's like you would have to take out a a carrot peeler to peel them and eat them. It's like props. Really? This is a props fail, people. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, Miss, their girls are very grateful to Mrs. Garrett, but she is, she is in our camp, Ken, where she's like, I don't see why you would want to cram all night girls you just need to get your rest and the answers will come right to you she snaps in the air they they literally do a a light joke here that does nothing but set up a reason for mrs garrett to pop in her head later right natalie says we have to cram mrs garrett we have to be ready for our finals i mean tell me who discovered nitrogen and kind of like a game she's like tootie ramsey tootie's like i don't know and then someone's like oh madame curie no joe polnicek no was it einstein nope and finally mrs garrett says okay natalie who discovered nitrogen and natalie's like i don't know that's why i got a cram get out of here yeah setting up setting up natalie set her up and knocked her down exactly oh my god yes so yes uh, so then Mrs. Garrett tries to do stretches and, oh, and singing lullaby and <laughs> in the beautiful it's, dulcet Mrs. Garrett voice. It's not Charlotte Ray's finest hour on the show. <laughs> no, the, this is the beginning of so many uh, of, uh, you know, so many episodes that you can put in the column of, yeah, Charlotte Ray is really just a, an appendix and extraneous appendage that could have easily just not been there i do want to mention one thing natalie uses maybe my least favorite term for milk moo juice oh yeah yeah did i'm not really sure that was ever really a thing was it i've heard people say it and it's just yeah it's not it's not pleasant i'll agree with you on that one not a fan so then um natalie gives this pep speech they again they just give her such a so natalie gives us like like it's like she's in patent saying all right we are gonna study and we're gonna do great and all this stuff now while she's doing this i am looking at the set 
we have never spent an entire episode in the bedroom. So I am loving the fact that I can look around and see what's going on here. You notice a Tootie up top on the wall. She has a Wizard of Oz poster. It's like, okay. Yes. And she has a print of some type of uh, drawing of a building. It looks like a like an Americana New Englandy type of building, and I couldn't see what the name is. All I can see is the I-V-E-S at the end. So it might be the name of the artist, like a commemorative oh, okay. poster from a, an exhibition at a museum. But I can't think of who it would be, and I don't I don't know my art, and I, I forgot to research it. So if anybody <laughs> knows, please please do uh, chime in. Please comment, uh, my fives of listeners. Um, down below, Natalie has her Marx Brothers poster, or Animal Crackers thing, yeah. which yep. we've talked about, Natalie's liking the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges. Uh, there's also um, a Springsteen poster, a Springsteen concert poster. Yep. Uh, absolutely of the time and there's also um i think a little eight by ten headshot of rink springfield yes yes there's a little locker pinup of springfield and then the weirdest thing down there though uh-huh is a poster of a popular mechanics yes. magazine cover yes. with miss piggy on it yes <laughs> you saw it too i'm so excited i've got to look that up i've got to see if that was actually a thing or was it just a goof poster that the Muppets put out? Yeah, I was trying to see if it was called like Pigular Mechanics or something like that, but I it, there wasn't a good enough shot. So I just love these moments where we just get a little breathing space to look at the atmosphere around us. But very quickly, we start in with, okay, we're going to get to studying, it's cool. And then Tootie gets a little chatty. And then Blair complains about procrastinating. And in between all of it, Natalie is like, guys, shut up. We're studying. And then Joe makes the comment about, do you ever notice the pillows smell around here? And yeah. Natalie is like, guys, knock it off. And Blair says, who wants banana cake? And Natalie, boom, we have banana cake. So with the food doing Natalie in, breaking Natalie from her uh, focus with the studies, we move on to the next scene. It is now 10 p.m. Joe is on her bed. Blair is on her bed. The scene focuses mostly on Natalie and Tootie sitting at the table in the front uh, yes. of the set. And the food is gone. It looks like a pack of dogs just tore into it. It's like, girls, Jesus. Completely gone. We, we get the first appearance of my favorite supporting <laughs> character in the episode. <laughs> and that is what can... Natalie's thinking cap. The lightning bolt baseball cap. Yep. It is a beautiful thing to behold. And it it is it is its own character in the episode. You're absolutely right. And it would go on to feature in the opening credits for, I think, the remainder of the series. I think so, too. Yeah. When they get into the by the eighth and ninth seasons, the opening credits go into this sort of retrospective like, wow, we can watch the girls grow up. Every single episode at the beginning. So they start with season one uh, images and quickly age them. And uh, yeah, I think it does. It's uh, it's beautiful. So um, Tootie is listening on her Walkman with her Walkman headphones. God bless. Cool in the gang. Yes. Celebrate good times. Come on. That's right. And Natalie is so annoyed. <laughs> she lets out with one of my favorite lines where it's it's like it picks at her until she finally explodes. And her line is, if you don't put that thing away, I'm going to sit on your neck. Yeah. And then an unusually long laugh. I mean, because she does. She commits. It's so angry. Yeah, and yet it really so is. ridiculous. And she God. has a her other really angry line in the episode comes later during the pillow fight when mm -hmm. she's like, I'm going to lay you out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like Natalie is so committed to this. And in the fact that she's the one whose bubble is constantly getting burst and the frustration and comedy that results from that is just electric in this episode. Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. Good. But uh, after she drops that little bomb. Uh, during that long laugh, and I think what, Ken, you're talking about is after the laugh of that, they have it staged so that Natalie then buries her nose in her papers and is looking back and forth between her book and her notebook. So the hat is moving a lot. Yes. And it is, we are able to see the top of it and that there are these uh, 
upholstered, puffy, like stuffed animal sort of lightning bolts attached to either side. So the the silliness of this hat bobbing back and forth and Kim Fields reacting to it until the laugh finally dies down when she just goes, I hate that hat. Yes, yes. And Natalie, in her frustration, gets to say, do we have to go through this again? This is my exam hat. I wear it twice a year, every year. These are my brainwave conductors. Which is a really nice bit of lore that sort of is well-placed in the show that adds this sort of depth to their characters and relationships. Yeah, without betraying something we've already seen or heard about. Right. Because we've never really technically seen them buttoning, you know, battening down the hatches and really studying hardcore like this. So, um, yeah, no, but this hat becomes, and, and Kim Fields, she just still comes out, I still hate it. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so Natalie is annoyed because she has to learn the symbols for all the elements for her chemistry class. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Do you remember chemistry in high school, Ken? Oh, I do. By the finals, the finals at the end of the school year, were you still learning what the symbols were for the elements in the periodic table? No, I mean, I definitely wasn't. But there were certainly kids I knew who would sort of memorize and purge. Yeah. So but I either knew it or I didn't by that point. Yeah, I remember that that was nothing. To me, the thing that I struggled with was uh, that we had to know the the valency of the elements. Do you remember this? Oh, like yes. Yeah, yeah. Plus two, minus two. The idea yes. was how many electrons it had and how many it needed to be able to connect to something else. Yes, because you would do so, the math and then it would make a new element and all that. Yeah, like sodium chloride is NaClO3. That's one uh that's one sodium that's one chlorine but three oxygens and valency is why you need three oxygens to connect to those other uh to those other atoms or uh, is that the right word to connect uh, to the... yeah i think so yeah but it, so this is how but my thing was i never learned my valences i just could not commit to sitting down and memorizing them and it gave me problems i should have just buckled down harder but by finals to me personally, I think just having to be able to recite and regurgitate that, oh, HG is mercury, AU is gold, C is carbon. I feel like that's pretty like first half of the first semester chemistry, yeah. not, not studying for finals. Right. It doesn't demonstrate any sort of understanding of why you're there. Yeah. So, but it gives the writers uh, a little extra reason to uh, get Tootie and Natalie. Tootie tries to help her uh, with it, but Natalie is just like, ah, you're not helping me. So she kind of rejects it. And um, then we get into, uh, oh, oh, and then we talk about Tootie getting into, why do we have to do this? And we're not going to use all this stuff. And why do we have to bother with studying for finals? Meh. Right. I don't need and, to know anything. I'm going to be an actor. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and Natalie says, I'm going to be a journalist. And we've been kind of leading up to this where I'm not sure we've ever specifically said that that is exactly the careers they are going to pursue. But this is really good. If it hasn't before, it's been implied. But for them to say definitively, for Tudy to say, I'm going to be an actress and Natalie to say, I'm going to be a writer. That's pretty awesome. And oh, they yeah. do stick to that landing throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, absolutely. And you sort of get a, a a nice little Joe moment where she says she wants to teach kids. Yeah. And she sort of goes into that a little bit, though, yes. later in the final season. Yeah. She says something like, I love cars or something like that, but I'm also thinking I like to teach kids. And, and the joke, the punchline is Blair just goes, gang warfare for toddlers. Yes. Good laugh. And uh, yeah, but you're right, because Joe does kind of sort of get into social work. Yeah. And then oddly ends up becoming a policewoman we later many years later learn which is yes. like okay i mean an ivy league education certainly can help in any career but wow yeah didn't have to that's what, a what better there. what better way to teach kids than by locking them up yeah exactly <laughs> 
But we now come to a big major crisis in this episode, Ken. The Oreos are gone. All hold of on, the food. Hold on. What? The all the food is gone. They uh, have eaten it in two hours. They've eaten an entire evening's worth of food supplies. An and entire bushel of carrots <laughs> and certainly a peck of something. Yeah, 57 sandwiches and all kinds of, you know, there were apples and bananas and all. I'm like, I do not know how four people could eat that food for an entire night, let alone in just two hours. Well, they kind but, of imply, although they don't make the fat joke, that Natalie ate it all. Oh, uh, oh, do you think so? I got that vibe. Maybe I was just being overly sensitive to it. <laughs> Maybe you, you yeah. could be right. I didn't. I didn't get that, but I wasn't. Also, I wasn't looking for that. But then a note gets slipped under the door, and they look and they pick up the note, and it says Daniel Rutherford. And they're like, "What?" And they open the door, and there's Mrs. Garrett. They're like, "Who's Daniel Rutherford?" And she says. He discovered nitrogen. Little callback. Little yes. callback. And literally no other reason for her to be in this scene. 0. No. 0.00. And also, like, she, the whole conceit of why she gave them that food platter was she's like, the kitchen's closed for the yeah. night. But it's like, yeah, Mrs. Gary, you could go downstairs and make some stuff if, if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Or they could go downstairs. I don't think there's a, an elaborate series of laser uh motion sensor trigger alarms or something you know it's like yeah they could go down and pull some more milk out of the out of the fridge or something but Just tug some moo juice right out of there yeah he said it Ugh. uh but they do come up with the idea to order pizza and they do happen to know an all-night pizza place so we think maybe the problem might be solved now but we move 20, on it's 20 miles away did they say 20 miles 20 minutes away, yeah. Or 20 yeah. minutes away. They're like, well, get him on the horn now. Yeah. So now here's the thing. In order to call and order a pizza, they would have had to walk downstairs through the kitchen, through the cafeteria, into the lounge to use the payphone. The lounge, and which yet, has several vending machines. Oh, yeah, that's right. They've got the coffee machine and the 1960s pastries in there. They could have gone there, but oh, well. Anyhow, for this episode, the pizza was the thing, because now our next scene, it is 12 o'clock midnight. And so we've had 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, now it's 12 o'clock. Everybody has changed clothing now. Everyone is in there. Uh, Blair and Joe are in pajamas. Uh, Tootie and Natalie are in ugly grandma nightgowns. Oh, awful. Real sister wife looking things. Oh, my God. But that was the style. It was, ugh. It's true. Everybody in the 80s dressed like a... 35 year old it's terrible but um at this point now tootie joe and blair are all studying natalie is the one anxiously pacing around and so finally it's like natalie would you come what's the matter and she's like where's that kid with the pizza i'm starving because uh natalie likes food yeah apparently but never make a fat joe no oh no no so then tootie says natalie here you can have my hot chocolate i'll even heat it up for you and she's got one of those heating wands that I guess you put into a liquid and it gets it warm. I'm unfamiliar with those. It's basically throwing a curling iron into a cup it, of hot chocolate. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I'm not that familiar with it either, but I feel like I've seen it somewhere before. I just can't remember. And um, I will point out in an earlier episode when Tootie was illogically a dorm monitor, even though she didn't live in the dorms. She did complain one point to one of the girls, hey, you know you're not allowed to have food in the dorm rooms. You're right. not allowed to have food in your room. Really? Well, now she's got electrical appliances being put into liquid. But, uh, yeah. So when she goes to plug in this curling iron hot cocoa heater, she says, all these plugs down here, you guys. It looks like mission control here. That will come back. Yeah, they, they really much. foreshadow that. That is the uh, they've shown the gun in the first act, so they have to have to use it. Yes. And then we have a great little divergence, a little a little sidebar here. Blair suddenly starts reading out loud from a romance novel. And and she's talking about he took her in his arms, her face flushed hotly. And as she reads it, and she's like, can you believe people read this ju this junk? And Natalie says, great, Blair, you go from food to sex and I can't have either. Yes, which is incredibly uh, adult of a joke. Uh, very joke. It's like, 
you're 16, girl. You shouldn't be talking about that on network television. Uh, and it's also prophetic because Natalie, as we know, is the first to lose her virginity four years down the road. I'm sorry, five, a season nine. Yes, five. yes. Then uh, a very interesting moment where Natalie walks up to Blair and kind of coyly says, so Blair, have you ever flushed hotly? Like basically saying, have you done it? Yeah. And this is, I mean, girl talk like this is really kind of scandalous for the show to even abro- approach the subject. But the most sort of realistic conversations I feel like I've seen on the show. Agreed 100%, yes. And Blair does say, the answer is no, I have never flushed hotly. That doesn't mean I haven't gotten a little warm a couple of times. Right, right. It's like, At which point, Natalie, again, horny. Natalie is the horny one. She's the boy crazy one. She's like, yeah, oh my God, you have, wow. And she turns and just as she turns and says, Joe, Nancy Pia, impeccable comic timing, just cuts her off and says, don't even ask. Yes. It's perfect. Everybody's strengths are played to in this exactly. one. Exactly. And again, and, and not just everybody's strength strengths, but the whole uh, subtext of, is Joe really interested in boys? Yes. Yes. Because that does come into question a, a, quite a lot this season. Absolutely. And, yeah, so for her to be like, don't even ask if I've slept with a dude. It's like, oh, wow. But it's also, Joe is private like that. Joe is like, don't meddle and don't ask me personal things. If I, if I want to tell you, I'll tell you. It's right. 100% perfect for the character. Well, Mrs. Garrett comes in and says, girls, girls, you need sleep. Come on, just a cat nap, 10 minutes, and you'll feel better. You're just getting all annoyed and you know, on edge and Tootie agrees and Blair agrees. And Joe says no, but then they catch her yawning. So finally they say, okay, 10 minutes. Blair says, I'm going to set the alarm. They set the alarm, Mrs. Garrett, sweet dreams, girls. And then as the lights go out, we zoom into the clock, pan down the cord and we see it is not plugged in. Oh no. Dum, dum, dum. There's your cliffhanger. And with that, we go to commercial. Oh, God, I love this episode. I love <laughs> every minute of this. Uh, while we're at commercial, we uh, I always like to take a little detour just to talk to my guests and all that. Now, you, you've you been on the show before. I loved when you were on, and I was very honored that you took the time to come and be on the uh, Fear Strikes Back episode Thank from you. season three that was that was the beginning of season three and now we're at the end of season four which is crazy ten months ago ten months holy shit that's insane but uh your amazing podcast which i've said many times has been such an inspiration to me tv guidance counselor still going strong after is it six years now we're on year seven holy fuck man that is insane and it's incredible and uh, in our uh, correspondence over the last few months occasionally just i'll i'll usually just send you random things uh because you have i don't know if you've gotten to watch them i'll admit i've sent you stuff and been like i'm gonna watch that at some point (laughs) but I, i forget but you have a particular love for tv movies talk a bit about that if you would yeah yeah well there were this sort of lost era of um of media in that they had uh, a lot of low budget directors would make these movies of the week with basically TV stars that were under contract. Um, Mm -hmm. Wes Craven did a bunch of them because they would hire these guys because they could shoot fast and and under budget. Um, So we had about a 20 year period where they were coming out with, you know, made for TV movies every single week. And Mm -hmm. for the most part, the vast majority of them were lost. Some came out on video. uh, Some would play on basic cable every now and then. Some of them ended up being uh, more memorable and and sort of uh, perennial like Salem's Lot. But there are hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, A lot of them are now on Amazon Prime. That's fairly new and they're kind of hard to find. But a ton of them are streaming uh that and that's that's a very new development 
Oh, I, I wasn't aware of that either. Uh, but I remember talking to you last time about the, the Linda Carter biopic she did of Rita Hayworth. Yes, 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 and yes. My friend did, Bob had I uploaded it, it to YouTube. I yeah, did not watch very it. good, is it? <laughs> I mean, she's she's great. Of course. But and, it's it's not a it's not great now. Yeah. And again, remembering that Rita Hayworth primarily, first and foremost, was a dancer. And so yes. that was like a great showcase for Linda Carter because Linda Carter is a dancer, but she didn't really get to use it that much on Wonder Woman. Yeah. So I love that. Uh, but there was two more that I sent you. One of them, uh, and the, these are both, I, I sent you a note just saying, Ken, these are movies I somehow kept stumbling upon throughout my <laughs> childhood and my adolescence, and I watched them multiple times. I don't know why. And yet I remember so much about them. One of them is called Seizure about a young woman who has a seizure and Leonard Nimoy plays the surgeon who helps her operates on her and helps her recovery. Yep. And that's the whole thing. She Leonard Nimoy. Have, she doesn't have seizures and sees ghosts. She doesn't have seizures. And that's just the, the literally the plot is just that. Yeah. She has a seizure and she may die and he operates and helps her recover. And and it's a real and it's such a both of the ones I sent you in that one email, they were both such uh, proto lifetime TV movies because this is based on a true story of right. this woman who uh, we do see at the end and we see her singing and she's made, you know, not a full recovery, but a, you know, 95 percent recovery. And uh, the other one was this story of I think she was an Air Force officer who was pregnant at the time and gets into a horrible car accident and it disfigures her face. And it's about her. She loses the baby in the accident and through her horrible disfigurement, uh, loses her husband and Armand Asante plays her surgeon yes. who is, uh, who is helping her and trying to do the reconstructive surgery to get her back her face and uh, and one of her uh, colleagues is uh, a young, unknown Annie Potts. Yes. And the movie I said to you, I remembered the movie and I couldn't think of and I did some hunting. And when I found out the title it was called Why Me? <laughs> you could retitle every made for TV movie that and it would be appropriate. <laughs> every Lifetime. T yes. Every Meredith Baxter Bernie movie, every Marky Post movie. Yeah, it could just be called Why Me. Yes. <laughs> but this one thought of it first, and that is its distinction. And um, and the thing about that movie that was kind of, ooh, a little interesting that made you raise your eyebrows a little was he had to reconstruct the entire bottom half of her face. And he was like, I don't know what I'm going to use. I can do skin grafts, but typically you don't do that when you're trying to rebuild a person's lips. Right. And he hits upon the idea of using, and the term that they use in the film is gynecological tissue. Yes. To reconstruct her lips. Which would be uh, an, a good alternate title for the film. <laughs> gynecological tissue. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but basically, we're talking about using her skin down there to make the skin to build her lips. And apparently... This is based on a true story, and it was like, you know, double-digit surgeries that she had to go through over and over. But she oh. ended up marrying the surgeon. They ended up together. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those were two ones that are etched in my brain. And I do need to, now Now that we're in quarantine or self-imposed quarantine, this certainly would be a good time to revisit them. But I have a feeling I'm going to watch them and go like, yep, remember that? Yep, I remember this scene. Oh, yeah. I did rewatch both. They're, they're not great, but um, no. they're certainly interesting curiosities. Yeah. And, and I think one of the big curiosities of them, and maybe this is why they stand out uh, to me and my youthful brain remembering them, is that these were based on true stories. And that really wasn't a thing. That wasn't commonplace like it is now. No, they'd make a big deal out of it if it was ripped from the headlines. Yeah, like Farrah Fawcett in The Burning Bed. Right, right. And all that. Because that was a TV movie, wasn't it? It was. And then it got a theatrical release in the yeah. U.S., which was odd. Most made-for-TV movies would get uh, theatrical releases in Europe, which is kind of where they made their budget. But oh. Um, oh. It, was unusual, it was unusual for them to, to get a theatrical release in the U.S. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So uh, before we get back to Facts of Life, can you think of just any random TV movie that's like a lost gem, uh, a forgotten one that we could look up and find on your recommendation? Uh, the Midnight Hour is maybe my favorite. It's a Halloween movie um, with, LeVar, with LeVar Burton and Sherry Belafonte. Um, wow. And uh, Smith's songs on the soundtrack. Uh, it has a full-on musical number in it, but uh, there's some truly scary scenes in it, and, and it's, a, it's a weird one. Um, Invitation to Hell is one I think you would particularly like. Uh, it stars uh, Joanna Cassidy, who's been on the show. Oh, uh, it, it was directed. Love her was directed by Wes Craven. Sharon, I mean, um, Susan Lucci plays the wife of uh, Robert Urich. And uh, uh, I don't know if I want to give away the twist because it is no. crazy, but it's no, essentially, no, I want to watch this now. It's sort of about like a modern day Hellfire Club, and the ending will you'll just it's insane. So uh, I highly recommend that one. And are those available? Are they out there on they YouTube? Are, or, yes, they I are think? streaming, they are streaming. That uh, is I know for a fact Invitation to Hell is free on Prime if you have Amazon Prime. Oh, that is exciting. Well, I will post a link to it on the uh, on the show website. But thank you for talking about that with me. And thank of you course. for being on the show again. Uh, as I've said before, I am thrilled. It is an honor. And I am such a huge fan of your show. It is still very weird to be hearing you in my ears. <laughs> and you are actually talking to me. It's not a conversation I feel like I'm a part of. I'm actually a part <laughs> of it. It's very trippy. Oh, well, thank you. So, back from commercial. We are in the darkened bedroom where the girls are asleep. Joe wakes up and checks her watch. And the discovery. It's been two hours. It is oh, now 2 a.m. That's not 10 minutes. No. So they quickly realize what has happened with the clock being unplugged. They really lay into Tootie hard. Yeah. And it, as it escalates, there is a little sense of, fuck, girls. I mean, Jesus. But Back they, off. Exactly. But they so beautifully do it because what breaks the tension? What is the thing that pops this balloon, Ken? The hat. The hat. Natalie puts on the hat and what is going on? One of the lightning bolts uh, has become flaccid. <laughs> I wouldn't have used that word and it is the perfect word. So I'm glad you said that. Uh, yes. So... The girls, as they're fighting and yelling, suddenly, quickly, they have to try to stifle their laughter because Natalie looks so ridiculous with one lightning bolt flopping around. So yes. when finally Natalie discovers it, they're all just they're all just laughing. Natalie is like, oh, good. This is great. This is just great. But Natalie need not be upset for long because in comes Mrs. Garrett holding a pizza. Did anybody order this? A 2 a.m. deep dish with everything. Which they ordered, Ken, at 10, probably I'll give you 10.15. Yeah, that's a four-hour pizza. Unless Mrs. G's been hanging on to it and let them sleep. Oh, oh, <gasps> there's, uh, there's some duplicitous. I never thought of that. That could totally have been what's going on. But uh, yeah, yeah, if that was from Domino's, that would have been free. Just saying. Absolutely. So they jump into it. They devour the pizza. And they even talk Mrs. Garrett into staying and having a piece of pizza and, well, appearing in her own sitcom. Because that's really what we're doing here. Oh, yeah. And uh, Mrs. Garrett reminisces a bit. God, since I took my finals, we've been through two wars. We've put a man on the moon. Liz Taylor's been married five times. And Liz was still in the headlines, man, in the 80s and the early Oh, 80s. yes. Oh, yeah. I think she, what was her final number? Seven? I think it was seven. Yeah. With, uh, yeah, the Fertensky. Was that the, the last tr one? Truck driver guy. Yeah. Yeah. The, with the mullet. Oh, my God. Oh, the, yeah. The the creepy wedding with Michael Jackson. And mm -hmm. was Michael wearing a face mask? Uh, he was. In the wedding pictures? Like, it was. Ooh, yep. yep. It, looked like, it looked like the circus was in town, really. It was. So then um, Mrs. Garrett talks about how you girls are just getting so tense. You should really let off some steam. You know what me and my roommates used to do? We'd have a pillow fight. Which is real weird. It is. And Blair even says, really? Did you room with the Brady Bunch? 
<laughs> it's like, yeah, you're saying what we're all thinking. Really? So Mrs. Garrett says goodnight and leaves. And Tootie says, that sounds like a good idea. So she tries to initiate a pillow fight. And she hits Joe. And Joe just looks at her and says, be smart, Tootie. Yeah, would, is Joe the one you'd go for first? Oh, no, exactly. Exactly. Which is why her re- reaction is so perfect. And then, you know, and it's like, it's all about letting off steam. So Joe reacting, Tootie's like, ah, there's some steam. And then she pops Blair with the pillow and Blair's like, Tootie, oh, there goes some more steam. And then your other Natalie moment. She says, Tootie, if you hit me with that, I'm going to lay you out. Boom. That's it. It's on. And they just go into full on pillow fight mode to end this particular scene and go into the next scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. It's really kind of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And at least they didn't do the trope of one of the pillows coming open and the feathers going everywhere. Yeah. It didn't get that crazy. It was normal crazy. (laughs) As far as pillow fights go, it was appropriate. Indeed. Yeah. Then at five o'clock in the morning. Now we are moving ahead three hours instead of two. Um, We've got Tootie and Natalie taking a little cat nap in their beds, in Joe and Blair's beds, actually. And Blair and Joe are sitting at the table in this nice, intimate little pin spot. Yeah. As soon as it came on, I was like, she going to kiss her? No. (laughs) There, There is a little... There is something a little romantic about it. It's, it's, or I should say, there, it's, it's a very intimate scene. And I think that that lighting was appropriate because for all the talk that we have done and that the world does about, you know, Blair and Joe, they're actually doing it and all that stuff. This is such a lovely, lovely little scene where Blair confesses to Joe that she's scared about college, about what's next. And Joe comes back at her and says, yeah, you know, that's normal, but you're going to be fine. And she asks Joe if she's scared. And Joe says, well, you know, I'm the first in my family to go to college. So basically Joe acknowledges that her education comes with a lot of baggage. And Blair says to Joe, you're going to do fine. And the thing I love about this frenemy relationship that they have is that in these moments, when the chips are down, they are friends and they do support each other. And and it's so wonderful. I just I this scene I love this scene. My heart grows three sizes when I watch it. Which is another reason to hate the Joe becoming a nun two parter, because in that episode she punches Blair in the jaw. Yeah, it's very uncharacteristic. It it, it does yeah. yeah. It's like a dream that to, episode. Yeah, it's like that episode needs to be struck from the canon. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jan Brady. Uh, no, bye-bye. I, I hate that episode. The more and more <laughs> I get away from it, I, I hate it more and more. Uh, so then the alarm goes off. Tootie and Natalie wake up. It's five in the morning, so the sun's coming up. And then uh, Tootie tries to help Natalie more with the elements. And uh, then we just transition into eight o'clock in the morning. Now it is daytime. They are in their uniforms. They are hurrying and getting ready and getting dressed. Joe is practicing Spanish. Um, Family falling down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> El se cayó de las escaleras. And um, it's a really funny thing. I have so often pointed this out. Uh, they say, okay, so I'm going to do my history final at nine. And then I've got my other one at 11. So we're going to meet back here for lunch. Right? Yeah, I can be here by one. Cool. And then Tootie and Natalie kind of make up a bit for some harsh words that were said earlier. But the thing is, <laughs> I can be back by one. It's like, yeah, you're going to be back by one. You girls still cook food for an entire school. Yeah, yeah. We have not abandoned that. You have not, we have not been told that you've paid off that debt yet. And so, as far as I'm concerned, why is it eight o'clock in the morning and you're getting ready for class? You should be down there slinging the hash for the other girls. Yeah, damn it. Exactly. And then to even uh, punctuate my point even further, Mrs. Garrett brings in a tray of some either milk or juice. It's hard to tell because they're in those terrible uh, urine colored glass from the 70s. Those, ah. you know, that that tinted glass. So it's like I literally can't tell if it's milk or juice. 
but she's like, oh, I'm bringing in some fuel for you. And the girls are like, oh, thank you so much. And then Mrs. Garrett even says, and there's a special pre-exam breakfast waiting for you downstairs. <laughs> who made it? And who is feeding the school? I think Mrs. Garrett's been covering for him. Uh, apparently. And the girls are even like, well, Mrs. Garrett, we don't have time to stop for food. And she's like, oh, I made it to go. She thinks of everything. I'm telling you. And then she says before this sort of moment before they leave, she says, well, good luck, girls. And hey, let's be careful out there. What is that a reference to, Ken? Um, I don't know, actually. Let's be careful out there. You don't know. I don't. <gasps> That's amazing. Every episode of Hill Street Blues started oh, with. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Every yeah. episode. And that is a, an NBC show. It is finishing its third season, which in its, I believe it's finally cracked the top 30. So uh, Hill Street Blues is fast becoming one of NBC's popular shows. So we sneak in a little plug. She didn't say airing Thursday nights at 10. Right, right. But it was implied. And then the girls file out. Mrs. Garrett is left alone in the room. And what does she do, Ken? She puts on the hat. Yes. The final big laugh is yeah. Mrs. Garrett taking Natalie's busted lightning bolt hat and putting it on her own head and just laughing and walking out the door. Although it makes me feel like maybe when they're gone, she just puts all their clothes on. <laughs> oh, my God. That's why she lost all that weight in season two. That's right. That's why. So That's she could right. fit into the girls' clothes. Now we know that is, you know, there there is Facts of Life fan fiction out there, Ken. So, oh, well, I, well, you I got don't... some time in quarantine. <laughs> oh, we're going to explore this. <laughs> I think that's what you're going to do. You're going to have to write some of that and uh, and license it. So, uh, yes, with that, and that's a big laugh, a little bigger than I would have thought. One wonders if that might have been sweetened. It very well could have been. And then you need we that get, big laugh for the end. Yeah, and then the clap track, the absolutely the pre-recorded clap track comes in, and uh, and the credits roll. And uh, not only is it the end of I think my favorite episode, it, it's also that moment of oh shit, next week is graduation. Yeah, this is the, the beginning of the end of the Eastland years of this show two-parter and yeah and i've said i i don't know if i've said this to you but um the the the, the eastland years are my facts of life that's my sweet spot that's what i think of when i think of this show and i record with some friends who have been repeat guests and they're just a uh, maybe five six years younger but because they're just a little bit younger, they're like, oh, no, 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 Edna's Edibles. That's the best oh. part of the show. So now I kind of take the temperature of my uh, of my guests to be like, to, okay, to you, when I say Facts of Life, Ken, what do you think of? Over our heads. Oh, okay, because you're even younger. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. just that that's my everything. Yeah. That's just uh, like the I aesthetic mean... of my soul. <laughs> Yes, and independently owned Spencer's Gifts. Indeed. <laughs> Without the dildos. Without <laughs> and, the, and the little bag that you push a button and it says, bullshit. Right, right. No over-the-hill uh, things. <laughs> no fart machines, yeah. No, uh, no, no posters that say, Buttweiser. <laughs> no t-shirts that say, mustache rides here. Exactly. Oh, Spencer's, the bastion of taste. And <laughs> God, I love it. Well, Ken, I have loved having you back, and it will not be the last time I invite you. Hopefully, it is not the last time you will accept my invitation. Of course. And so, Ken, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I love your show. I recommend TV Guidance Counselor to my fives of listeners and anyone thank else you. within sound of my voice and i cannot wait till we are able to do this again until next we talk stay safe stay sane and i always will be listening to the show thank you be careful out there <laughs> yes yes great oh that was even better oh great sign off line <laughs> i wish i thought of it damn oh well, you know 
And there you have it. That was Ken Reed, back for more. Such an honor to have him on the show. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 4, Episode 23, Graduation Part 1. And I'm going to be joined by returning guest Paul Padilla. Paul is going to be with me for both parts of the two-part graduation episode, which is the end of the season and the end of the Eastland years. <laughs> I need comfort. Somebody hold me. Until next week, I, I really hope that uh, if you are hearing my voice that you are doing okay, that you're uh, coping as best you can with all of our various quarantines and stay-at-home orders and uh, the financial impact it's had on a lot of people. And if you are confused or anxious or depressed about it, please know that those all are 100% appropriate responses to have. Go ahead, feel your feels, because this is really a crazy time. So that's all the only wisdom I can provide right now with what little tools I have to work with myself. But thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>